0: Welcome to Sexuality After, the place we have real, raw conversations about how sexuality shifts and changes throughout our lives, especially after religion, parenthood, trauma, and loss. I hope by listening to these stories, you're inspired to leave shame behind Embrace your sexuality wherever it is right now, and know that you're not alone in the weird and wild experiences we all go through. Hey everybody, before this week's podcast starts, I just wanted to give you a heads up that Gwen and I talk about some kink in this episode that might be considered pretty extreme kink or kink that a lot of people don't talk about. And so if that's not something that you're comfortable with, then you might want to skip this week's episode. But my podcast is largely about trying to help people feel less shame about their sexuality and talk about things we don't talk about. And kinks is one of those things that a lot of people don't talk about and a lot of us are turned on by different things and I want to normalize that and give you an opportunity to listen to somebody who is really open about herself her sexuality and her kink life and she does it in a such a beautiful way I think it's important to talk about these things and bring them out into the open so that we can understand not only ourselves better and have more gentleness and compassion with ourselves, but others as well. And in this podcast, we talk about disgust and some things that might trigger your own disgust, um, reflex or judgment. And so if you decide to listen to this, I would really encourage you to just notice that with curiosity if it comes up and just really... See that we are all amazing in our own personal sexuality in whatever turns us on, and that that's part of the amazing, <laughs> like, creativity and diversity of our humanity and our sexuality. So, I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed interviewing Gwen. And again, I'm just so glad that there's people like her. Out there who are talking about this kind of stuff um, in a very open, human, accepting way. So enjoy. Welcome to this episode of Sexuality After. I'm here with Gwen, and we were just laughing about dragon dildos, so that's kind of what <laughs> you're in for today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I. Heard about Gwen because I listened to her story on another podcast called This Is Actually Happening. And Gwen is on the team that produces Off the Cuff podcast, which is a podcast about kink and BDSM. Um, and they talk about everything kink and BDSM, the entire spectrum from sensual to sadistic and bizarre to vanilla, like they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And yeah, I just really wanted to talk to Gwen and bring her on my podcast because she talked about her religious upbringing, which as you know, is something near and dear to my heart Is people that have come out of religion. And she talked about her journey into kink and her own personal kink with disgust, which I found so fascinating because... It's an emotion. Well, we'll probably talk about it, but it's an emotion that people try not to even really think about too much or talk about. And it's not even recognized a lot of times as a main emotion and <laughs> as like as um, sticky and uncomfortable as shame can be. Disgust, I feel like, is one step further. And so I'd really love to get into her head with you guys tonight about her relationship with Disgust. Yay. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So to start with, I'd really love to hear about your childhood and some of the main beliefs that you were raised with around sex and sexuality and kind of your journey through, sec- through your sexuality and through religion.
1: Sure. Um so I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian household. Um like I was like forced to go to church every Sunday. Um I don't know if it like really matters, but I grew up as a Nazarene. That was the denomination. Um I don't know a ton about the difference between different denominations, but um yeah, I um basically just grew up m- learning that any sort of like sex and sexuality was like off the table until marriage or else you were going to hell. Hell was like a big part of my childhood and like a huge like like basically my main fear when i was a kid. Um i remember just like staying up at night being like horrified by just like thinking about hell. But then on the other side of the coin, I was horrified of heaven too, because like obviously (laughs) hell is horrifying. It's like you're being tortured and burned for eternity. But on the other side, you have heaven, which is just like praising Jesus on a loop (laughs) for eternity, at least the way that it was described to me, like singing the same song on a loop, hanging out with Christians forever. Um, And just like, praising jesus and i think a lot of it was just the idea of eternity like i was never super i was like terrified by the, by the idea of having a consciousness forever like i think just because especially as a kid like and even now it's impossible to grasp that idea of like infinity or eternity yeah. um and spending like eternity anywhere doesn't sound very good to me and it never <laughs> totally. has totally <laughs>
0: Especially Um, if it's a never-ending something. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. Especially when neither option seems very great. Totally. So, yeah. But I opted for heaven because I was like, I guess that's better than eternal torture. Sure. Um, And so, yeah. A lot of my views on sexuality were just abstinence-based. Especially even in school, like outside of Christianity. Um, I received like very very little sex ed and it was all abstinence only there was no teaching about consent or um like any of like it was basically like don't have sex yeah Um, and if you don't have sex
0: and don't get pregnant and be careful
1: yeah (laughs) it was basically like just deal with if you're going to have sex then you're gonna have to deal with the consequences of being uneducated about it um which was not great (laughs) um but as a kid I was also like super obsessed with sex like from like a pretty young age um like I remember I would always like rationalize it to myself in different ways like I'd be like masturbation is okay um even if I feel really guilty afterwards at least like it was kind of like PIV, sex before marriage, was the big no-no. And I was like, okay, maybe it's a sin to do anything else, but at least it's better than, like, fucking before marriage. Um, So, yeah, I would do a lot of, like interesting like workarounds obviously i wasn't able to obtain like a sex toy or anything um so i remember googling like different household objects to use as sex toys and like this is like really embarrassing but one of my first or actually my first like sex toy was like like stealing my dad's electric toothbrush that he never used it it was just sitting in the bathroom but i would just like steal that and use it as a vibrator or like (sighs) (laughs) I <laughs> would use like bathtub faucets, or just
0: find like really creative ways to like yeah. make it happen. Totally, um, you're not alone. I used a vibrating <laughs> pen that I got, and a Ken doll, like a Barbie doll.
1: Oh, yeah. that's rad! <laughs> interesting. So, I mean, well, I
2: don't, apparently. I don't know how
1: body safe that is, but like, right. it's interesting. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, I would also basically just like do like everything that I could except for have sex with like whatever boyfriends that I had throughout high school and um I also watched a lot of kinky porn which I didn't realize was kinky at the time I just thought that I was watching like porn that not a lot of people watched yeah. I also felt a lot of shame not only around being Christian and being like sexual as a teenager but also being um a woman or a girl and being sexual like i assumed that no one else that i knew that was a girl like jerked off like i just thought that it like i think i had the shame of like christianity and being a teenage girl um just kind of like all like uh compounding on each other (laughs) yeah um yeah i'm not sure how much further you want me to go into yeah you can keep going
0: um yeah so like what was your process of getting of coming out of religion what kind of started that happening and then what was your foray into kink like how did that happen
1: Yeah so I was always really Not always, but I think around when I was in high school, I started becoming a bit skeptical about Christianity. Like, I was fully in it. Um, A big thing for me is that I've always been a perfectionist. And so I definitely was really, like, I was, like, for one, I had this big fear of going to hell. um, So I didn't, like, want to sin. And I also just wanted to, like... There's this thing built into Christianity that's like, you need to strive to be as perfect as you can be like Jesus, yeah. but yeah. also you will never be that. And right. that always like tormented me because I knew yeah. I'd never be able to achieve that thing, which mm-hmm. I now realize is what keeps you in it is never being able to actually achieve that goal. Yeah. Um, yes,
0: absolutely. I relate so much. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um. But I started getting pretty skeptical about it when I would just ask my youth group leaders at the time a lot of like questions that I think they really didn't want to be asked, but they would just kind of have like open time for questions. And I would ask things like, what happens to babies that die like um, during like the birthing process or like soon after their birth before they're able to like accept Jesus into their heart? Or I would ask about what happens when people kill themselves and why that's a sin, because I was told that that was a sin and you would go to hell, Um, which I also struggled with a lot of like depression and like suicidal thoughts. So that was a thing that I asked about a lot. I also asked a lot about people in other cultures who don't even like know about Christianity because so much of religion is just based on what you're born into and the culture that you're born into that I would ask why it was a sin or why people of other religions were going to hell. And it would basically be answered by just like everyone is able to find Jesus, which doesn't really make sense. But that's kind of the whole like missionary mindset of people who go travel and like, indoctrinate um people that really don't need christianity into it but anyways i asked a lot of hard questions but i could not let go of it because of this like looming fear of hell um but it was really in college um when i wasn't kind of like forced to go to church anymore that i started to like grow away from christianity Um, it was never like a, there wasn't a moment or anything where I was just like done with it, but I kind of just moved on to a different, like kind of culty mindset. I got really into meditation and mindfulness, um, which is like not a bad thing in all circumstances. Like you can, I think, really use meditation and mindfulness to your benefit. And it's a big part of like mental health teachings. And I think it's really important. But again, because of who I am and my like perfectionism, my next goal was like enlightenment. <laughs>
0: which
1: was another like kind of trap where it's like you need to strive for this thing but it's actually impossible to reach this thing unless you're like the buddha or something like you're not going to reach it and you also have no way of knowing if you have reached it like that was the whole trap with that is like if you say that you are then you can't be yeah (laughs) it was all like very confusing but that was my new thing to strive for Um, and also I'm kind of backtracking a little bit, but I should say that when I was like heavily involved with Christianity, um, I did feel a lot of shame, like, uh, especially around sexuality, like anytime I would do something with like a boyfriend or like anytime that I would like use porn to jerk off with, like there was like a lot of shame. Um, and not even just with sexuality, but just with like, feeling like I was a bad person in general or like another thing is I was like never good enough for my parents. Um, they were also like super hard on me, which is another thing that like compounded onto everything. Um, yeah. So within Christianity, there was a lot of shame, but then uh, joining more like hippie movement, like meditation and mindfulness groups, that's when like the disgust really started to set. In because oh. I got into a big thing, along with like meditation and mindfulness, was veganism, like I became like a lot more socially conscious, which I think also just can come with like college. but I took it to an extreme where I was just like I got really obsessed with the environment um and like animal cruelty, and it got really obsessive to the point where like it was hard for me to leave the house and go for a drive because I would obsess over like litter on the side of the road and be just like disgusted by humanity. And it was hard for me to go to the grocery store because I would look at people's plastic bags and like um, I would think about like how many plastic bags were being used in the world that day and then how many plastic bags have been used throughout the time that plastic bags have been used. And then I would think about, like, I would try to, like, calculate however many thousands of years all of the plastic bags would be on the earth. And I would think a lot about, like the cruelty of, like, like, toward animals in factory farms, like, I would just obsess over it, and, like, Mm -hmm. I was, like, actually, um, subconsciously, I think, placing a lot of judgment on other people by being, like, it's not that hard to take reusable bags to the store, or, like, it's not that hard to be vegan, like, just don't. Like, I was just, like, really angry and disgusted at the world for, like, not seeing the world through my eyes, which was, like, very warped at the time and, like, impractical. And it was all, like, I couldn't let go of it because it was under the guise of, like, doing good for the world and the environment. But it was really, I think, just this, like perfectionism that was like really heavily ingrained to me within Christianity, just moving on to the next thing, like the next chapter of my life.
0: That's really interesting. I forgot that that was a part of your journey, but I remember you mentioning that. There's, I feel like we could just talk about that for a long time, but (laughs) I want to move on. But um, I feel like disgust, now that you're talking about it, feeling disgust is a more... (laughs) it feels more powerful than shame. Like shame is all, Oh, it's my fault. It's my fault. Um, I'm a bad person. I'm worthless. I'm not enough. I'm too much. Whereas disgust, um, is often about somebody else. And like you were saying judgment and that's like, you're putting yourself in a more self-righteous place. Like, well, that's disgusting or you're disgusting. And it's like, I don't know, there's there's a more sense of power there. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, definitely. I think we were kind of talking about
1: this a little bit before we started, but I definitely agree that disgust is a more intensified version of shame or maybe the next level of shame. I'm not sure exactly of the connection there, but at least for me, it moved from personal shame to outward disgust even yeah. though like what really helped me move out of that was realizing that it was all based on like self-disgust Um, because I still never felt like I was good enough. And like, I was always struggling with a lot of like mental health issues. I always felt like I was like, letting people down. I was like the type of person who would get like upset if I didn't get like A's in school because I was like in college at the time. Um, so yeah, I was just like struggling with a lot mentally and never felt like I could be like good enough for myself. And I think that I directed a lot of that outward and I like kind of used like, um, veganism, which is like in my opinion, at least after like coming out of it now was just kind of like a restrictive, at least for me, it was like a way to like control and restrict Mm -hmm. like something in my life. Um, Yeah. uh, And yeah, I think a lot of my outward disgust was actually just like disguised inward disgust. And someone actually pointed that out to me, which was kind of the first step in moving away from that.
0: Yeah. I've heard that Um, from quite a few people's stories is that they use food. Their attitude towards food is often a way of controlling and being like controlling themselves and being a perfectionist within themselves. And it's like, well, I can't control anything, but I can control the way I eat or how much I eat. A lot of times that's what drives um, anorexia and bulimia too, is just this desire to be... this. Unachievable desire to be perfect or that you're not enough. Uh, There's a lot of stuff in there with food, I think.
1: Yeah, I definitely struggled a lot more with like more commonly known like eating disorders when I was younger, like within like Christianity and all of that. Like that was a big thing for me. But then again, I moved on to like veganism when I got into like I became friends with a lot of hippies and. I was kind of doing the same sorts of things, which of course, like, I'm not saying like veganism itself is like necessarily restrictive. Like I still believe you can totally be healthy doing that if you're doing it right. But for me, it was a way to like continue being restrictive and like uh, feeling. I've always like, Not anymore, but um, when I was younger, I really looked for like sets of like rigid rules that I could follow. And if I could follow them, then I
0: could feel good about myself. So I think that was just another way of doing that for me. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're taught in Christianity, especially strict Christianity. We have our rules and that's what you abide by. Like we're not taught, I don't know about you, but I certainly wasn't taught critical thinking or listening to yourself like the ability to listen to yourself and your own gut and your own heart, your own head. I wasn't taught that. Now you follow the rules, external rules. <sighs> and that's
1: easier, right? Is just being able to live by these like seemingly simple rules. But I think it really like not listening to yourself um, and like repressing your own feelings really builds up over time in a way that tends to
0: be unhealthy. So, yes, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, awesome. So, um, veganism, and then you kind of realized what the root of that was, and then what?
1: Well, then we get into like the kink, more like sexuality part, I guess. Um, I still dealt with a lot of like self-disgust and I still do to this day. Like it hasn't really, um, I think I don't deal so much with like self-disgust as much as like just a perfectionistic attitude. Like it hasn't completely gone away by any means, but um, I was still really dealing with the self-disgust even though I realized that it was more about me than like the rest of the world. Um, And I kind of like accepted that what everyone else does is out of my control and it's like nowhere near my place to like impose my beliefs onto other people. Um And so I had started listening to this podcast off the cuffs that I now work for, but, um, about kink and BDSM. Yeah. And again, like I was still like obsessed with sex that never really went away for me. Um, and, a topic that was like that commonly came up on the show was people using their like, um, like using kink to deal with their trauma. Um, like I heard of people who had like traumatic experience with knives who would like use knives in a therapeutic sense with kink, um, just to like help them like face that fear in a controlled setting, um, yeah. where like. You're like, you know what's going to happen. You're able to safe word out of that scene if you like are completely uncomfortable with it. And it's just kind of like, um, it seemed like a really empowering thing to be able to like deal with these feelings in a controlled setting. Um, And I heard that that helped a lot of people. Um, And so I never really heard people doing it with emotions like disgust, Um, but that's something that really like intrigued me at the time like I was like I wonder if that's something that I could do um but I didn't think too much about it until I met my now partner Dick who is one of the hosts of the show um and we started talking and we started talking about a lot of our like like quote unquote gross kinks like um like used clothing or like um Like I don't know why I'm blanking right now.
0: Like I remember you were talking about um like dirty socks as one of them.
2: Yeah, like smelly socks
0: socks. or um you know, like vomit. You've mentioned that a couple times, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Or like gagging, all of that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um and so we started talking about like potentially playing with those things in a kinky context. Um and so yeah, that's what we did. We like played with them together. At the time we were long distance. So we would like send each other like a lot of used clothing or we would do like scenes online through Skype oh, yeah. Um, yeah. where he would like have me gag myself with my own like panties for a while and would yeah. like direct me on how to do it. And um, at the same time, we were also having a lot of like like emotional discussions like surrounding these scenes where he was like helping me work through a lot of these things or like talking about how he related to a lot of the same feelings um that I was having at the time yeah. and yeah it was like really empowering for me to kind of like play with disgust in a Way that wasn't negative. It was like a lot of fun and kind of like becoming friends with that feeling instead of like looking at it as the enemy. Just like realizing that it's a feeling that's going to be there for me, like no matter what. Like I said, it's still like not completely gone away by any means. So yeah, just like playing with it in a healthier way rather than just like beating myself up for it day in and day out was
0: huge for me. Like, let's take this emotion that I feel anyways, and can we have some fun with it? Yeah, exactly. And in doing what you're doing, you're walking directly into disgust. Like, oh, I'm going to purposely do things that disgust me.
1: Yeah. Like, I'm just going to face it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important for a lot of things like the different groups that I was involved in with, like, Christianity it was, like, I think that's the thing that I'm, like, the most proud of myself for doing in my life was, like, even if it wasn't a moment, still being able to look that in the face and recognize it for what it is instead of, like, through the lens of, like, <laughs> essentially a brainwashed person and just being able to look at it through like my own genuine like perspective um so i think that's important with like a lot of things that are negatively impacting you in your life if that makes sense yes as long as you're like able to do it at that moment like i don't think you like immediately need to like push yourself um into uncomfortable situations but
0: yeah yeah Yeah. That's what helped me a lot with the shame that I felt was like I, in coaching, I take people through an exercise where they like see their shame in front of them. And Mm -hmm. even visualizing it can be scary (laughs) and like allowing it to talk. And then they move if they feel comfortable to do that, they move and they like become their shame and they act as their shame and they speak as their shame. And it's just, again, it's just a way to consciously meet this thing that seems so scary and when we do that we always find that it's not it's not so scary Mm -hmm. yeah so did you find like things that your average person would find disgusting did you find those things um turn you on before you started doing this or did you approach it more from a therapy standpoint
1: um I would say they turned me on before I started um, using them in a more therapeutic sense, which is interesting. I'm not sure if that stems from like my childhood or like my personality or if it's a coincidence, but yeah, it's kind of always been there for
0: me. Yeah. So, my biggest, I have like two main questions, right? My biggest burning question is is it like the feeling of disgust? that turns you on like is it anything that you find disgusting or that evokes that feeling is that what turns you on or is it individual acts or is it the fact that you can find something sexy that like most of society society would judge or like not find sexy so more like the taboo aspect of it or something Mm. else
2: yeah I think um a lot of it is like the feeling
1: of like being disgusting is like a lot of it like it doesn't necessarily feel disgusting to me because it turns me on but just kind of like the concept of knowing that um objectively it's disgusting like rolling around in your own vomit or something or like yeah like Um, just like knowing objectively that that's a thing. And also I just like, um, I'm a switch. I don't know if like
0: your audience is aware
1: of like some of them, maybe
0: some of them wouldn't, but feel free to explain it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It basically means that I like, um, being dominant or submissive or a top or a bottom, which aren't necessarily, um, the same thing, but, Yeah. So I like bottoming or being submissive. And a lot of that for me has to do with like humiliation or degradation or just feeling like beneath someone or feeling low. So I think disgust like plays into that for me, like um, like disgusting. I associate with being like low because it was it's like a big low point in my life, if that makes sense. Yeah
0: yeah so Um, it's more the feeling it's not the feeling of disgust necessarily but of feeling like you're disgusting yeah definitely that's what turns you on yeah I would say so and is it like anytime you feel disgusting or is it just like if somebody else uh not in a scene or like someone that you trust like shames you and you feel like they kind of make you feel disgusting does that turn you on too or is it just within your you know sphere yeah
1: not at all um if someone shames me just like out in the real world I would like not feel good about that whatsoever um a lot of it for me is having trust with Uh, my partner that Mm -hmm. I, I have two partners, but the partner that I like play with this with who's Dick, who I mentioned before, um, because he's into a lot of the same things and also doesn't actually find them gross. Um, We just pretend or like not pretend, but we like play with that. They are gross and just like the concept of them being gross. So it's Mm -hmm. in a completely um, non-judgmental environment. So I can like feel free to be as like, quote unquote disgusting as I want without like even though we're playing that I'm being disgusting I know in my head that like no one is actually judging me in real life which is a huge part of it yeah so
0: after I thought about your podcast a lot (laughs) since listening (laughs) to it and just like how could I relate I think um and my husband and I were talking about it today like I think that I feel similarly about taboos. So um, I can play around with taboos and like, oh, this is uh naughty, or this is like not conventional, what most people mo- like other people would maybe judge me for this or judge us for this. And it's like sexy to kind of play with that taboo. But if somebody outside of my trusted circle Um, you know, judges me or shames me for something that I would do sexually, that doesn't turn me on.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I also, you also asked me if I'm um, into a lot of disgust or like gross play for the taboo of it, which is interesting because like, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but that's a part of it, but it's more so the idea of it being a taboo like I was saying um yeah I don't actually want like like it's not so much the idea that not a lot of people are into it that turns me on about it like I wish that in general people were more accepting of a lot of the kinks that I'm into because some of them tend to be like outliers even within like the kink
0: community totally yeah um disgust being one of them like disgusting things yeah totally
1: yeah, so I think like the idea of it being a taboo is hot, but in reality, I wish that it were um, <laughs> not judged as harshly yeah. as
0: sometimes it is. Yeah. I feel the same way about the taboos. Mm-hmm. And again, like I don't find them taboo. I'm totally fine with them. I feel very comfortable, you know, doing the things that I do sexually, but um yeah this idea that people would find it taboos hot like you were saying but yeah, I also yeah. wish it was more mainstream so it wasn't as <laughs> right yet yeah, so, no it's we can't have it all I think <laughs> yeah yeah okay cool that's yeah that's interesting I was thinking as well about because I don't I've never found like disgust Or feeling disgusting to turn me on like that's never been something that's happened for me but as human beings I think we do find a thrill in disgust and disgusting things like I was thinking about it today like um people find pleasure and or like they laugh at um, you know, farting and like holding the, the <laughs> covers over somebody's head. Right. Right. Or even <laughs> my, I have a little kid and like giving him slime, like what's the fascination with slime? It's cause it like feels, Ooh, it's like oozy and kind of gross, but it gives people like a thrill of like, Oh, so disgusting. And then even horror movies too. Like, yeah, some of them are about s- fear. But disgust also plays into horror movies a lot where people are like, oh, it's so gross. Yeah. But they find a thrill in it, right? Yeah. And so. That's definitely the case for me anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Does that, like, does that. So then I was thinking with Taboo, I find a similar thrill, like, oh, you know, somebody could catch us, or um, like that's kind of a common one about being caught, right? Or. Oh, what would other people think or something. It's kind of like the same kind of thrill feeling. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, does that thrill feeling turn you on? Hmm.
1: I'm trying to think about that because um, I think it might if I weren't as open about it like online as I am. Like Mm. if it were kind of like my own secret, I would be like, ooh, if people found out about this, what would they think? But my like sex and kink life is pretty out there. So like it's not common, but here and there, like I will see like comments about it um, that are like, people's genuine reactions to the things that I do um so I think that's kind of like I think that would definitely be a thing for me if my like sex and kink life were more private if that makes sense yeah but it's interesting what you were saying about like um just like people finding thrill and disgust in everyday life because I think that like when you talk about like Doing like scat or human toilet paper play, which I talked about a lot in my this is actually happening. Um, like people are quick to like not like empathize with that or like understand that at all. But on the other hand, like people, at least like I know my parents or a lot of people my parents' age are obsessed with watching the news, which is full of like dark, disgusting things that they like can't stop watching. And I think like people a lot of times do get this kind of like twisted like thrill out of like um the media and i even used to do that like i was like obsessed with like researching like dark things like going on in the world which had a lot to do with my like my own disgust thing but i think like yeah like horror movies like just even real life things in the media, I think people can kind of like get more of a thrill out of disgust than they realize. But again, it's not a super commonly recognized emotion. So maybe people might not
0: recognize that. Yeah. And people also have a different level of like disgust sensitivity. Like, um, I think my disgust sensitivity sensitivity is fairly, low, like there's not a lot of stuff that really disgusts me, Mm -hmm. but for some people they're disgusted by a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. Do you think that you're like on a scale of one to 10, uh, let's see 10 being like, you're disgusted by a lot of things. Like you find a lot of things disgusting and zero being you find nothing disgusting. I would put myself at, like, I don't know, probably, like, a three or four, maybe. Like, do you still find things disgusting, and where would you put yourself on that scale?
1: That's so interesting. I feel like I can't give a solid number because it depends. Like, I find – I still, to this day, like, get disgusted just by, like, a lot of issues in the world. Like, I feel like I have a hard time not being cynical about things. Like, I just see, like, negativity within, like, so many things, especially, like, just, like, within the past year, like, a lot of the stuff that's been happening, like, politically and such. Mm -hmm. So it's – but I can't let myself, like, really, like, dive into that emotion anymore. Like, I've become better at – like realizing that it's out of my control. So it's not as intense of a feeling as it used to be. But I would say like, it's hard because when it comes to like real world issues, I'd put myself at like an eight or a nine. But when it comes to like things that you would typically think of as like gross or disgusting, like throwing up or like like scat or (laughs) um, things like that, I would put myself at like a one. Does that make sense? Like I totally. feel like there's a big difference between things that I feel emotionally like attached to and things that I just like play with um, like on
0: a pretty regular basis. Before you do you think before you started playing with it in a more like kink context, do you think you were already at a one? Out of 10 with disgust, like you didn't find them disgusting?
1: I would say I would probably put myself, before I started playing with it, maybe at like a four or a five just because Mm -hmm. I had no experience with it. So um, that's like a big thing with kinks, I think, is you can be really into the idea of a kink and you don't know until you do it like how you're actually going to feel about it a lot of the time? Totally. Um and it's totally fine if like something stay like if a kink stays as something that you fantasize about and something that you never play with in your entire yeah. life, but um luckily for me, it was like genuinely something that I wanted to play with um like practically. So, yeah, yeah I would say that it like um just like actually playing with it made me even less disgusted by these things um, or I just kind of like turned it into something sexy. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: But I wasn't completely sure before I actually played around with it.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Um, another question I wanted to ask you was, let me know also if you're like, I don't want to answer that question. That's totally yeah, for acceptable sure. for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, We my husband and I, uh, we've been to a few kink clubs. Mm -hmm. Um, and like there doesn't seem to be a lot of sex that happens kink clubs. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was wondering, does your kink play uh like turn you on? where you want to have sex or like have um, like PIV sex or, or like any kind of sex, I guess that takes you to orgasm. Like, is it kind of like that? Or is it more of a mental? I know a lot of people when they play with control, for example, it's like, Oh, like they can just, they kind of go into a meditative place where all they can feel, all they can focus on is the pain of, you know, the spanking or the whipping And so they can't focus on all the million things that are causing them anxiety, for example, or um, with, yeah, control play too. It's like, oh, I'm in control all the time in my life. And Mm -hmm. so I get to be totally out of control and it just allows them to mentally relax. But it's not necessarily – doesn't necessarily take them to orgasm. Can you like speak about that from your own experience and others?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's like really subjective, but for me personally, I think that, um, subspace is, which is essentially like that meditative feeling of, um, like that sometimes comes from like pain experiences, um, but also can just be from that sense of like being controlled or like dominated, um and it like it doesn't happen for everybody and like different things get people to that space just like depending on what they're into or the person that they're playing with um but for me that kind of like meditative like obedient headspace tends to be more rewarding than like an orgasm or having like piv sex um but sometimes it does lead into that um or sometimes just like seemingly like vanilla PIV sex is just like what I want that day or just like giving a blowjob is what I want that day. Um, but most of the time I would say just like doing kinky acts is like more rewarding than actual like PIV sex.
2: Um, can you talk more think about like that? I'm
0: yeah. Sure. Um, I'm like, trying rewarding to think. How, like, what is the reward? what do you see as the reward of like PIV vanilla sex and what is the reward of kinky, you know, kinky play for you?
2: Hmm.
1: Well, I think for me personally, it's like kind of uh, formed by my like past because um, I thought that like PIV sex was like the only thing that I was going to have throughout my entire life, even though I like secretly like wanted like, like an alternative sex life. I didn't think that that was like possible for me because of it being a sin. Um, and I also just had a lot of like, kind of like negative coercive, like experiences for my first like PIV sexual experiences Mm -hmm. with like non kinky people. Yeah. Um, so I think, Like, I always wanted to ask for that, but I didn't know how or I was afraid of, like, being judged for wanting that. So I think that's why for me now it's more rewarding to, like, ask for more, like, creative ways um, to, like, experience sex. And also my definition of sex has, like, broadened so much more than, like, PIV sex or... um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's like, it's also a lot more rewarding for me at times because of the amount of planning that can go into a scene. Um, Rather than just like, there's, it's definitely like rewarding for me to just like, be like, we're gonna fuck like spontaneously. Like, that's amazing. But there's also like, um, it's really rewarding to like, plan a role play scene for like, like have it in like plan it with your partner for like six months and then finally do it or like building a dynamic with your partner, no matter how like complicated it is and doing something based on that dynamic. Like I think I appreciate the amount of like creativity and or planning that can go into it. And also the amount of like trust that it takes, um, Mm -hmm. to like play with things like pain or disgust. Um, like it's just kind of like on a different it tends to be on a different level, like, emotionally for me than just, like,
2: fucking or, um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: It definitely does. It, rem- in a s- small and slightly different way, <laughs> it reminds me of
2: the difference between...
0: Myself, anyways, the difference between like light conversation and really deep, vulnerable conversation about sort of uncomfortable things, or if you're like, Hey, I really want to talk to you about this, and it takes a deeper level of trust and it's a lot more vulnerable. But you grow from it and you change from it. Whereas with lighter, um, surfacey conversation, you don't plan for it. You can have it on the fly and you can like do it whenever, but it doesn't change you as much.
1: Yeah. I would say that's a really good comparison. Like, It means so much to me because especially just like from the background that I came from, I never would have imagined that I ever would have been able to open up to someone about like my vomit fetish. Like, I just didn't think that that was something that would ever even be possible for me or like having someone who I could share dirty socks with or like... Um it was something i like fantasized about my for my entire life but i didn't even think that i was going to be able to like have sex until i got married when i was like however old. So yeah, i think that's a really good comparison and why it's so meaningful to me.
0: And there's really something to be said for <laughs> like, man, like meeting somebody that you can share that with who celebrates you for it and loves you for it and um, accepts you so completely in something so taboo, like, like even in the kink world, like you were saying, I mean, (laughs) that's like, that's like the the kinky of the kinky. Right. (laughs) And so to be able to say, you know, this is something that turns me on and for someone else to be like, cool, let's play with it. It'd be like, the fuck like yeah most people would totally judge me for this and you are just accepting me for it that's like really beautiful
1: yeah I've been I was kind of thinking about that recently I think that my favorite feeling in life is sharing something vulnerable with someone that I'm like nervous to share and have them being like completely accepting of it Totally. Um, which I'm like definitely lucky enough to get with both of my partners but um I think I like faced so much of the opposite so much of the opposite of that for uh my entire life that um it is such a like relieving and relaxing and like euphoric feeling is just like feeling
2: accepted like literally no matter what. Um that's huge. I mean arguably
0: it's the best feeling in the world.
2: Yeah, I would agree personally. Like, I'm just trying to think right now if I can think of anything that feels better than that. Right? I mean. Yeah, I I don't know if that just, I know you grew up in like. can't. In like a kind of
1: like, uh, within like perfectionism and like never being good enough um, and with like a mindset of, like, you're born into, like, being imperfect. Um, So I don't know if it just, like, comes from that background or, but, like, that's my perspective anyway.
0: Well, so if you, so our basic human emotional needs are love, safety, and belonging, right? Mm. And when we tell somebody something super vulnerable and they totally accept us, it meets all of those three needs. We yeah, feel like- safe with them. We know that we belong with them and we feel loved by them. Um. Anyways, I have to think about that.
2: But <laughs> yeah, I, I really,
0: it really does. And I, I really don't know if there's any better. Okay, if anybody's listening to this <laughs> and they can think of something that feels better or that is a more powerful feeling, let me know. Let us know.
1: Yes, I would love to know
0: because I think that's about it. That's like, I think that's one of the best feelings, or the best (laughs) feeling, anyways. Yeah. So that makes sense. Why bringing that to, you know, your bedroom or your kink dungeon (laughs) (laughs) or whatever it is for you or anybody else, being vulnerable and open, being accepted and celebrated for that is. Really powerful and beautiful to experience.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: Cool. Oh, yes, that was the other thing. Um, so, you were saying that you're pretty open about this online. And, you know, we were just talking about being judged and shamed and how being vulnerable and then having people accept you is so powerful. And Quite likely the best (laughs) feeling in the world. And so how do you deal with, okay, A, like, how do you have the balls to talk about that kind of stuff in public where people can and probably do judge you or shame you for your kinks? Like, how do you face that? How did you create that resilience, the shame resilience around being judged? Hmm. I
2: think a lot of it was just being sick of
1: like feeling that way. Like, it just came to a point where I got like so fed up with it that I'm, I was just like, I'm going to play into it. Um, and also, I don't, um, actually get a ton of like rejection or pushback or negative comments. Um, I think because like a lot of their, pretty much anyone who listens to Off the Cuffs, the podcast that I'm on, um, is looking to learn about, like, kink
0: mm. and BDSM. So they're probably, like, open to it. Um, like, nobody closed-minded is going to be like, I to listen to a kink podcast.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, the only time I ever got, like, some negative comments was after this is actually happening, but it was, like, so few. And they weren't, like, directed toward me or anything. Um, mm. It was just kind of, like, when I would like see like general discussion about the episodes and still it was like so few and i I got like so many messages of people being like, this really spoke to me. Like it like heavily outweighed like anything negative that I saw um, which meant a lot to me because it was like very totally. vulnerable and the first time that I had ever shared like my full story. Um, but, and I'm also like, not super open about it to um like family and friends yet um like most of my friends know that i work for like a kink and bdsm podcast but i don't think they've like listened to it and i'm not like open about it to my family because again like conservative christian like i just don't feel comfortable or like safe at the moment doing that um so i haven't had the balls to like do that but It's still been big for me just to, like, be open about it, um, like, on social media and on the podcast Mm. and, like, show my face and, yeah. I I hope that answers your
0: question. Yeah, so you kind of pick and choose communities that would be probably safe for you to share your vulnerabilities with.
1: Yeah, other than with, like, my family, I'm not going to, like, hide it if people ask about it, but I just don't feel the need to be, like – this is everything about me unless people are like asking me directly about it or right. if they're like interested, if that makes sense. Like, like yeah, people yeah. in my life are free to like approach me about it if they want to, but I don't feel it's necessary to be like super open about my sex life to people who don't ask me about
0: it. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel very similarly. Like <laughs> if people ask me, I'll talk about it, but I don't need like I don't need to just go tell people about my sex life. They don't want to know about yeah. it, right? That's fair. Um, I'm gonna ask you a question that everybody asks me. Okay. Okay. Aren't like, aren't you afraid that your family will, or like, how would you feel if your family listened to your interviews or like that this is happening? Like, are you afraid that they'll find it? Um. Honestly.
1: I am like afraid that they'll find it um because like I just have like fears surrounding my family just from like for like a lot of reasons but it doesn't outweigh the feeling of like freedom about like being myself and being open about it um Mm -hmm. so if they were to find it like I would just I'd probably like be disowned but I would just like (laughs) have to deal with it at that point because it's not worth like hiding who I am and what I'm passionate about and like I love my job so much like I wouldn't trade it for anything. So like including like acceptance from or including like I don't know what I'm trying to say but um including the approval of your parents. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah including the approval of my parents which would probably never happen anyways. So there's kind of like no point in trying. Like they're kind of just the type of people who are always going to look for like something to be disappointed in. So it doesn't really matter if it's like this or something else.
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I find that I am developing an, like an allergy to, (laughs) to pretending where Yeah, I feel that. Hiding because we had to do that for so long. Mm-hmm. For disempowered reasons that it's like, I just don't fucking want to do that anymore. I'm done. Like I am who I am. If people don't like it, they don't like it. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. My attitude is like people can find me. Like I have an OnlyFans. Um, I am on a King B D S M podcast. Like, people can find me. I just don't feel like i owe it to like my family to be super open to them if i don't want to be if if they find it that's one thing but like i don't owe it to them to like share everything about my life
0: so yeah when people ask me that question it's like i just like my family doesn't listen to the stuff i make (laughs) like i think i think they like they know that i'm a women's sex and emotion coach they know that. And they know that I have a YouTube channel and a podcast, but like, I don't think they want to know any more than that. Like, I don't think, I don't think they really want to. Yeah, they're just not <laughs> interested in. Well, it's like... like too far out of their comfort zone to really, to actually listen to it. And I think yeah. they kind of know that. It's like Phoebe's just doing her thing. She's,
2: mm-hmm.
0: she's you know. I'll just pretend that it's all stuff that I would approve of. Like, I, think, I don't know. I think that that's kind of how they are. Maybe not. Maybe they listen to like everything I produce. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Cool. Okay. That's amazing. Um, oh, man. I feel like I can talk to you for like two more hours. Okay. <laughs> Aww. Um, okay. I'm
2: just looking at my questions my like very personal questions to you. I think I went. Yeah. I think I went through all the
0: like super personal questions for you. Okay. So what do you wish everyone in the world knew about sex slash sexuality slash, you know, body relationships
2: Mm. Yeah, and why? I don't know if this is, like, what I wish that
1: people knew necessarily, but I wish that just more people were able to, like, get outside of the idea of, like, PIV sex being this, like, ultimate thing to reach or, like, orgasm being, like, like a goalpost for sex. Um, And I guess I just wish that people were more open to, like, I think that people think about, like, the label of, like, kink and BDSM and are, like, I'm staying away from that a lot of the time. But I wish that people could just, like, be a little more open-minded and just, like, at least do their research into it. Um, Because I think that a lot more people could benefit from at least like knowing that it exists, um, instead of it just feeling like this like hidden, like little group of sexuality, um, I think that yeah, people could potentially find
2: rewarding things within it if they were open to
0: it, um, yeah, totally, and different rewards, like, everybody kind of gets different things out of it. From what I understand.
1: Yeah. There's so much of it that I feel like people don't even know exists or they have this idea in their head of like, like someone going to a pro dom and like getting whipped or like totally, it's it's, like so much more broad than that. So. Yeah. Like, I feel like I wish that um, sex in general wasn't this kind of like tip of the iceberg.
2: Thing, if that makes sense.
0: Totally. I think that would require people to face themselves, though, and like face uncomfortable things. Like you can't do kink without facing your shadows and your like emotional self.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I don't with
0: think. That.
1: Um, even just in the fact that it's like seen as like weird or like unconventional and, um, it can be difficult to like accept that you're a part of this group that's labeled as like weird or unconventional. So even just with that, aside from like whatever, like kinks you might have or fetishes you might have, like, Um, I think that's kind of like a baseline thing that most people face before like getting involved with a community. So,
0: yeah. And I mean, I also want to point out that everybody has a different line as to what kink and kinky means. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I don't know. Like sometimes people talk about things and they're like, oh my God, that's so kinky. And I'm like, it is? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess, and then, and then I would label some things as kinky, and you know, some things I would label as kinky. You'd be like, "It's totally normal. It's like super vanilla." Yeah, <laughs> I no, see it, it all the time. Right? It depends
1: on the context too. Like a blowjob or PIV sex. I feel like I've been using those as examples as like non-kinky things, but even those can be like totally kinky, um, depending on the context of the situation. So, right. Yeah, or even like I have a thing with my partner where as like a service, I like get him tea twice a day. So you wouldn't think of like getting tea for someone as like a kinky act, but it is for me. So yeah, I think it totally
0: varies. From <laughs> yeah, to I love that. That's very true. Yeah. So what makes, what makes something kinky? What makes getting tea kinky? But, like you know, vomit play normal for yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm just trying to think, even for myself, what makes something what do, what makes it kinky for for me mm. for me to draw the line and say that's kinky what what is what makes that line that line
1: I mean, this is kind of probably a really basic answer, but I just think whatever you consider to be kinky is um yeah again not a very interesting answer but it totally varies from person to person and um the context that you
2: like put it within like i don't know that's a really good question We'll get back to you on that. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like, I mean, I part think of it about is that. The intention, obviously behind it, mm-hmm. why you're doing something.
2: And your
0: line, like, we have a line of what we're super comfortable with and what we're kind of like, I'm not so sure that can be kinky. That line can be kinky. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So subjective. You also like don't even necessarily need like a partner to do. Like you can totally be totally not. by yourself. Yeah, like, absolutely. Because a lot of like things I would consider kinky have to do with like a dynamic. But I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, no, you don't even need another person. Like you can totally practice kink on yourself, or just like with yourself or like watch kinky porn and that's not like any less valid or less kinky. So totally, yeah. I wish I had a better answer for that. I'm going to have to think about it more. Yeah. I
0: remember, um <laughs> I remember this is a good example of like being kinky by yourself in a <laughs> somewhat vanilla way. Um, but going to church with like, you know, like very churchy clothes on, but having super hot underwear underneath. Yeah. That, makes that was something sense. like looking back, that was something a long time ago that I did that I felt really kinky about and like really. Mm-hmm. And like nobody else knew, which is why it made it so kinky. right. It's like, you think I'm just a good little Christian girl. But <laughs> if you can see what's under these clothes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good example. So, Like a good vanilla example of kink. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. What has been your hardest one understanding about sex or sexuality? Like one of the most difficult things for you to understand
2: and come to realize. Hmm. I would say it's like mm, I would say just like the hardest thing uh just
1: throughout my entire life for me to come to realize was that it's not a sin to like have sex and experience pleasure. Um, like I was like heavily like uh like brainwashed into this way of thinking. Like I had a purity ring. Um it was like Um, this whole thing and I also had a lot of like like different classes throughout like youth group in church where we would like learn about how it was like sinful to dress with like like just like dress too revealing because it was like tempting to boys Um, and so it was just like 17 years of my life of this like sex is a sin, sex is a sin, like through school and through church. um, It was just like very heavily like imposed on me. Um, So I think that was probably the hardest thing for me to understand, even if like there was this thing like nagging at me in my brain, like telling me that it didn't really make sense or that there wasn't great reasoning behind it um again it was just like yeah that big looming
2: fear of going to hell that keeps you from doing it so and like even to this like day I still like every once in a
1: while will be like but what if like but what if that's still true like that's what makes me feel like it was like really like a traumatizing experience is because like to this day like no matter like what logic I use to like reason myself out of it it's like I think it will always be like this tiny thing of like what if it is true which is ridiculous but
0: yeah that is not ridiculous it's super (laughs) freaking normal let me tell you yeah all the people I know like fear of hell is how religions control everybody (laughs) And it's a scary thing. Like, you know, have you ever, instead of trying to logic your way out of it, have you ever just faced it directly and said, what if it is true? Because I say this because this is what I did. Finally. Like I got so tired of staying with that question. Like, what if it's true? You know? And then I was like, okay, what if it is true? What if what if everything I taught growing up is true and the cult is the true way? Mm-hmm. And the only way to heaven and heaven is the way they preach it and God is the way they preach him. And what if, what if I'm wrong and they're right? What if? And I realized this is like the moment that I stopped asking that question <laughs> because I realized that if they were true, and the God that I was taught was actually God. I wouldn't want to be in heaven anyway. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to spend eternity with like a douchebag like that, <laughs> like that. Um, who, like, I mean, I could go on for a long time, but just as, yeah, yeah. as example, like this being who created humans. Like he created them. He's like omnipotent and he can do anything. And he created these humans. And then he was like, well, you need to please me, but I won't love you unless you're perfect, but you can't be perfect because I've made you with human faults. And that's kind of the point. And so I don't love you because you're, you're not perfect and you're sinning, but it's like, he made us. It's like his fault. And then, but he doesn't like take any responsibility. Before I did it all right, <laughs> and then yeah. he's like, "Oh, my only son had to die for you." And then Jesus is like, "Oh God, please give her another chance. Please give her, a, please, please, please." And then God's like, "Okay, fine, fine. She can come into heaven. It's fine, whatever." Like that's like one of a million examples that I can give you of the absurdity of this God that I was taught. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like if that if that is true, if what I was taught is actually true, then heaven would be hell. And hell would be hell. So I get to choose between hell and hell. Great. Mm -hmm. So my afterlife is fucked either way. Yeah. It's torment either way. And all I can really depend on and all I have is now. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going to make this life as close to heaven on earth as I can and try to make the world or try to like leave the world a slightly better place for being in it because Mm -hmm. that's all that I can really stand on. So basically I was like, even if it is true, I would still come to the same conclusion about how I live my life.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, that's definitely a really solid point and something that was, like, one of my first realizations, like, I was kind of saying earlier, even when I was, like, <laughs> a young kid, uh, which was, like, horrifying, was that they're both kind of hell. So, yeah, exactly. no, that's definitely a really good point. And also, like, in that case, Satan doesn't seem so bad. He seems like kind of a cool dude.
0: So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, oh, uh, God, you're a douchebag. I'm out of here. Yeah. It's <laughs> <was> like, okay. <laughs> mm. Yeah, cool. Um, what has been your
2: biggest sexual regret? Hmm. I would say all of the years that I spent just
1: like repressing myself from um yes. having sex and also like doing the research, um, and educating myself about sex, because like I said, I didn't really receive any sort of like sex ed. And therefore I had like going into, like when I did eventually start like having sex i really was uneducated about like consent um like i had kind of like one idea of what sexual assault was um and so therefore i was like super unprepared to go into the world of like hooking up with people and like casually dating people which kind of like um was like really damaging for me whereas if i didn't like if I wasn't like repressing all of that um, which isn't necessarily like my fault but like if I was able to like educate myself when I was younger or if I could have received that education I could have like avoided some like initial negative sex experiences and I would have had a less narrow idea of what sex can be or like how to please someone or like I also would have like prioritized my own pleasure more I think rather than just like being like it's my job to make boys happy like yeah I just I guess like that's my biggest regret (sighs) is not educating myself more and not exploring more when I was younger
0: such a big narrative that girls get yeah makes me so mad (laughs) (laughs) yeah me too um that's something that sorry we're running a little bit over time I have one more question for you yeah, that's okay. Um, but that's something that the kink world does way better than the vanilla world. Which, I mean, they do more than one thing <laughs> better, but that is like the biggest thing that stood out to me the most is, you know, before you enter into a scene with somebody or create a scene with somebody, before you play with somebody, you sit down and you talk about, you know, what are you comfortable with? What are you not comfortable with? Where are your boundaries? Where is your consent? And you both like consent to this thing that you're going to do and you both know what, what your role is and you know kind of what like going into it, what's going to happen. And and you have like a safe word and like all this stuff is so amazing. And then you have aftercare afterwards where you sit and you like talk about it and or you just offer each other what you need if it's just cuddles or just time or tea or <laughs> like whatever yeah. it is. and man, if we could like bring that more into the vanilla world, it would make such a big difference. I mean, maybe that's partly the conversation now that's happening around consent is to do that, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think at least with my experience in like uh, vanilla, like sex and dating, like a lot more is assumed within that, which can lead to like a lot of hurt um and another thing that I really enjoy about kink is like if you're negotiating properly there's a lot of discussion around how like both or however many parties involved um like can get something out of the experience yes even if it's just like doing something for another person um like yeah yeah, I feel like it's really focused on how everyone can get something out of the 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 situation
0: so absolutely Yeah. yeah I find kink is like, it's a good balance of being totally selfish and totally unselfish at the same time. Like, it's like, well, I want what I want, but I want everybody else to get what they want too. So let's find a way to make that happen.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of it is selflessness and like being caring under like kind of playing this role of being selfish. Um, Like at least if you're like a lot of the times, I think like a dominant person like plays this role of like you're giving me exactly what I want. When a lot of the times, it's really like more catered to like the sub, the sub, um, totally. and like what the sub wants to get out of it. Um, Absolutely, but also what the sub gets out of it is the dominant or the top pretending like they're demanding it. So
0: yeah, yeah I have a friend who's you know has kind of an inner dom and. He really only can let it out if the sub is very communicative and he knows the boundaries. And like he said often, like the sub actually, if kind of if you do it right, or like if you, if you talk enough, the sub is the one that actually more has the power. Yeah, because it's all within the the sub's boundaries. I mean, this dom dom has their boundaries too, obviously, but they're more like doing too. And so it's totally the subs boundaries.
1: Yeah. I think in general, if you have like a dominant or a top who is just like actually demanding things out of a person without like, like if someone's being like, I am your dominant. And so this is what you're going to do for me.
0: That's like a huge red flag. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Unless you talked about it and that's what you want. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Absolutely. Um. Okay. So, my last question is What is one thing you wish you knew as a teenager about sex and sexuality? So, that's a little bit similar to the one you just answered, actually. But if there is one thing that you wish you knew, mm. what would
2: it be? What? Nothing. I'm sorry. I, okay, sorry. Your
0: answer. <laughs> Dick was just like laughing at me. So I, was, I was laughing at you. I was like, "What?" <laughs> He's just laughing near you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. it's so hard
2: because I feel like I would like give pretty much the same answer
0: about um, just like having been taught more about sex and sexuality and knowing more about like consent and voicing your, what you want for your own pleasure and everything like that.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think I would, I'm, I'm sorry, but I would like probably give the same answer is just, I think the most important thing is like having um, like sexual education. Um, Yeah. That's like extremely important.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No need to be, to apologize. No, it's totally yeah, I'm with you on that one. That's something yeah. that I'm really passionate about is I don't know, just teaching people a more teaching kids a more well rounded approach to sex and like you said, to teach them about pleasure and consent and having a voice, not just don't have sex. And if you do, use protection so you don't get pregnant. <laughs>
1: yeah. Definitely. Uh, it's like it's interesting. I feel like, um, even though my like school sex ed experience wasn't like Christian, like I didn't go to a Christian, Christian school yeah. or anything. I still like definitely feel like it was influenced by that like
0: conservative community of just, like, yeah. I like, mean, our whole sex. society is. Yeah. Really. And I was the same. I didn't go to a Christian school, but I think our sex ed just came from society, which sucks. Like, the- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, yeah, the sex education in school sex, but also just societal sex education. Sex, I think it's getting better though. There's more conversation around consent and pleasure and everything like that. So that's good. Yeah, it's
1: interesting. I feel like the internet has like definitely influenced that a lot, or like um, people having like more access to like doing their own research, like more younger people having um, access to doing their own research and absolutely,
0: which has its Downside as well, (laughs) but I agree with you. Cool. Um, Okay. So is there anything that you, if you were in my shoes that you would want to ask you
2: Hmm.
0: that I haven't asked you?
2: Let me think. Hmm. I guess maybe I would ask where I'm at now
1: with, like, just, like, my outlook on, um, I guess, like, because I feel like I talked about, um, like, rigid Christianity and then rigid, like, new age like spirituality type of things and i feel yes. like i didn't necessarily like say how it evolved from yes, there other than totally like, getting into kink and stuff but okay go for it yes um i feel like it's been really important and like really empowering for me to like not subscribe to any sort of like spiritual rules or like guidelines of like how to live my life like it's been really important for me to look inward and ask myself like what I think is important um and I think it's like we were kind of talking about this before but it can be really challenging to not just like look to a set of rules about like how to live your life but for me it's been really freeing and a really like interesting journey like genuinely asking myself what is important and like what um like just like how i want to live my life and not like yeah subscribing to any sort of like rules that are imposed on me by something outside of myself so
0: yeah which is a lot more complicated journey to be on than following rules but way more empowering and way more rewarding would you say
1: yeah i would definitely say so i think it can be scary especially if you <sighs> were born into um being told that you need to follow like sets of rules so scary um, that tell you how to live your life but i think it's a lot more fun than people realize even if it's scary at times
0: i think it's scary because when you're taught rules you're taught not to trust yourself Mm-hmm. and then it's a choice to trust yourself when you decide to like make up your own mind about stuff you're choosing to trust yourself mm-hmm. but that was one of the rules was to not trust yourself I think for me anyways that's why it, it was yeah for so me damn scary and like continues to be so sometimes
1: yeah it's really like jumping into the deep end when you haven't been allowed to do that for your entire life but yeah, like I said, um, even if it's scary, it's
2: like a lot more freeing than you might realize, I think. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's incredibly freeing. Yeah. Um, it's free. Ironically, it's freeing to take responsibility for yourself. Yeah. And your beliefs. Usually, we think freedom comes in denying responsibility or like not accepting, not having responsibility. But I find that the more I take responsibility for myself and my life and my thoughts and my choices and my beliefs, the more free I feel.
1: Yeah, I would (laughs) agree. And also, just like bringing it back to like Christianity is like, um, or even just, like, a lot of, um, like, religions, I think the point is that you're not allowed to be free during your life. Like, your freedom comes afterwards, which is, like, mm-hmm. a horrible way of thinking, I think. Because, like, like you were saying earlier, all we have is, like, now and all we have is, like, our life. And to just, like, in my opinion, waste it, um, like just waiting for like your afterlife is like, like I would be wary of anyone trying to tell you that that's what life should be spent doing is like not living it.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Mic drop. (laughs) Uh. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I will um, end it there because we went over a lot over time, but thank you so much for being willing to explore these questions with me and coming on my show. I really loved it. So where can people find you?
1: Um, You can find me every week on the off the cuffs podcast, as I mentioned throughout the episode, um, which you can pretty much listen to on any podcast streaming service. And, I also mentioned that I have an OnlyFans if you want to see me naked or see my porn, <laughs> yep. um, which is at bydaily666. And I'm also on um, Instagram and Twitter at bydaily666 if you want to find me on any of those platforms. Cool.
0: And that's B-I-D-I-A-I-L-Y.
1: Yeah, b i d. Wait, why can't I spell it right now? B I D A I L
0: Y 66X. Okay. <laughs> awesome. I loved chatting with you.
1: Yeah, it was really nice talking to you. Thanks so much for asking me to come on.
0: It was lovely. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for listening to and subscribing to Sexuality After. A new episode comes out every second Tuesday. You can watch these podcasts as well on my YouTube channel, Tea with Phoebe D. And if you have a story to share, I'm always open and excited to have more amazing conversations. So please contact me via my information in the episode notes. If you want to find out more about me and my coaching, you can find me on the aforementioned YouTube channel or www.phibd.com. If you want to know more about my interviewee or the things we talked about in this podcast, check out the episode notes on your podcast app. I hope you accept and love your humanity and sexuality a bit more after listening to this episode. See you in two weeks.